I'm Doug Tarrant, Chief Curator at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. You're listening to Q4 Radio in Chicago, and the Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. More than 4 trillion gallons of rain fell this weekend in the state of Louisiana, a deluge of more than 2 feet. It's got to be pointed out that there is evidence that these are happening more often due to climate change and are more extreme due to climate change. The deadly floods in Louisiana are being called a once-in-every-500-year event. That's right, a once-in-every-500-year event. That's a term to convey how likely an event is to occur in any given year. So how many once-in-a-500-year events have we had in the past year? One? Maybe two at most, right? We've had eight 500-year events in just the last 12 months in the United States, in six different states. So when you have eight, eight events that are supposed to happen only once in 500 years, happen in 12 months, we have a problem. Eight events have happened in the last year that are supposed to happen only once in 500 years. Not to mention, on top of that, the Chicago Cubs are in first place. So who knows what's going on? Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's The Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. It's a long way to Tipperary. That's why he's riding the Megabus. Here he is, Mike Nova. Mike one on, Mike three on. Good morning. Mike two on. Good morning. All together now. One, one more time. time. Good morning on a beautiful Sunday. S- Sunday. I was going to say sunny Sunday, but um, it's a very important day, and not just because. Patrick Berry is in the studio here, and it's always a pleasure to have Patrick here uh, with the uh, Chicago Farm Report. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, but the really exciting, get the beer ding ready, and the other ding, both of them. Dual dings. Can, can you go, here, dual Patrick, dings? You Patrick, do you do a ding. It is Palooza. Let's do that one more time. Palooza. Wow. <clears throat> Rick DeMaio is coming in studio. He's coming live, 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 live to Pirate Radio. Radio, radio, radio. Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> oh, Patrick, aren't you glad you're in the studio with us it's, this morning? It's good to be here, yes, laughing. Uh, yeah, because the uh, alternative is crying. Uh, uh, but uh, here we are. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited that uh, Mr. DeMaio has... Consented to come right here into these very uh, this very dorm room right here. Is he bringing the inflatable kayak? I forgot. Oh man! To mention it, I forgot. Oh, I hope he brings the inflatable kayak. I should. 
Text him. Text him. Rick, bring the... Well, no, he said he keeps it in his trunk. Does he? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, then, in that case... We'll have to do something uh, about that. All right. But before that happens, and he's the whole second hour. So get your climate questions ready. Get your weather questions ready. Get your... Uh, football scores ready because Wisconsin—he's a big Wisconsin fan—and they had a big victory yesterday. We won't talk about the Wildcats, no. That was ugly. Um, however, my team won big, so uh, mm. and and I—you I, know—I'm University <laughs> of Michigan guy, so I, you know I went to uh, Ann Arbor, and uh, what I don't understand is why so many people hate the University of Michigan, and. And the reason I, I say that is because, well, I can kind of understand Jim Harbaugh being coached now, now, but people have hated them for decades, and they never win anything. They don't win the big games. They rarely do. They, they, they very rarely win a national championship. If you're going to hate a team, hate Alabama, okay? Hate Oklahoma. Hate um, uh, who else is out? Notre Dame. There's a team to hate. Or we can just hate Ohio State. Or Ohio. And especially... <laughs> My hate goes out to Ohio <laughs> State. Oh, how we, that was the, the you know, uh, one of the, the phrases at University of Michigan. Oh, how we hate Ohio State. Um, but I just don't understand the hatred toward Michigan, but that's because I'm from Michigan. So I guess that's, that's part <laughs> of it. Maybe it's the colors. I mean, no, the colors are cool. Maybe it's the helmets. They don't like the, the, those goofy helmets. All right, enough about football. Okay. That's uh, we'll, we'll save that summer. So when Rick DeMaio gets here, first uh, hour of the show, Patrick Berry, as we mentioned from Chicago Farm Report, is here, and we're going to play into. It's going to be. Um, it's it's a sad story today because we got news yesterday, and I posted it on on Twitter and on Facebook and on my blog. Uh, you can go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Go to the blog, uh, and you can read about the South Shore Farmers Market, which got closed yesterday afternoon. I mean, it's supposed to open. It's on Sundays. And Kaida Muhammad, who runs it, who founded it, who runs it, and who's going to be on the show in a few minutes, um, called me at, well we talked yesterday because we i was going to have her on the show i knew that the the market was having problems they had lost a vendor an important um uh produce vendor and um and then finally and she was scrambling i know she was out there looking for more vendors to get to the south shore market and they're located at like 77th in in, in south shore drive down at rainbow beach rainbow beach um, yeah. And apparently the the numbers have been dwindling, and um, you know the uh, some of the vendors found they they couldn't make any money, and that's the important thing. Obviously, you need to make money doing that sort of thing. Yeah. So so here we were preparing for the show, and then we got this email. What around six o'clock yesterday? Um, that the market was canceled. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and so it suddenly became a big deal. And as a matter of fact, I'm putting in a call to Kaida Muhammad right now. Are you there? Morning. Good morning, Kaida. What I'm going to try to do, Kaida, right now is also get uh, Corey Chapman on the phone from the experimental station. He is, uh, somebody else, who, um, who, um, is involved in farmer's markets. The experimental station has one at 61st. Um, 
Have you been down there, uh, Patrick? I have, yes. Uh, tell me about it a little bit. Well, it's a great market, great location right next to Experimental Station. And uh, the couple times that we've been down there, it seems like a very viable market pulling from both Woodlawn and Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had both vendors selling the fresh produce, but also uh, baked goods and preserves and things like that, too. So it had a nice, diverse uh, um, set of sellers. Um, and you wonder why one can survive and one does not. Uh, and, you know, I look at the Logan Square Market, which I go to almost every week when I leave here. I, and that's always just crazy and busy. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a tale of uh, different markets. Some can survive and, and some can't. Kaida, you're still with me, right? Oh, yes, I'm still here. Oh, you sound great now. That sounds a lot better. All right, so let's let's start right there. Uh, we were just talking about uh, farmers' markets, and tell me about how, how your market got started before we get into the troubles you're having right now. Um, and I hope people uh, will be interested and will tweet to us and, uh, and write us on Facebook, uh, who, folks who might be interested in helping out. Um, we are a full-service radio program, and, and part of it is to keep uh, farmers' markets going. If we can do that, we've done our jobs. So how did this all get started, Kaida? Oh, well, in 2013, I um, uh, uh, and some of myself and other visionaries uh, came together, and um, we talked with uh, some market managers and had some meetings, and um, uh, 2013, June 22nd, I believe it was, was our charter year for the South, Moore, uh, South Shore uh, Farmers Market. And um, it, it, it was a, a success. Uh, the, the opening day was, was big, and um, we we're, were located at Rainbow Park, uh, Chicago's South Side and South Shore. And um, so the first year, it was okay. It was amazing because Corey uh, Chapman at the experimental station didn't think we could pull it off. We did it in like four months. <laughs> and... Um, Anyhow, uh, we've been going uh, pretty good uh, since 2013. We changed locations. Uh, we were back, like, on the beach at Rainbow Beach, and uh, we thought it was cool, but a lot of people didn't know we were back there. So we moved out into a highly visible area at 79th and South Shore Drive, uh, uh, U.S. 41 uh, construction was just completed, so we've got like about eight-way traffic there. And uh, so we thought that would be a cool spot, and it is. It really is a, a really highly visible spot. I, and so I, that, I, that, that's the history of how we yeah. got started. Uh, just a few visionaries came together, and in four months we put together a farmer's market. Wow. And where did you find your vendors? Well, uh, some market managers attended our meetings and put us in contact with people, and we immediately uh, started emailing and snail mailing correspondences uh, with uh, farmers. And uh, a lot of them were excited because it was a new market and something different for them, and uh, they jumped right on the bandwagon. Uh, And, of course, you had the usual... Uh, cast of vendors, uh, some produce, some um, other goods there. What kind of, how were you represented? 
Well, at this time, because we're so new still, um, we're not uh, accepting non-food vendors. Uh, we're, we're really pushing uh, uh, the local growers and um, farmers in the area to promote the farm fresh produce, uh, fruits, vegetables. Uh, we uh, uh, brought on a, a, a chef to do cooking demonstrations uh, and instruct people on how to prepare certain dishes and all the food prepared came from the farmers. So not only were we promoting uh, the farmers and what they had at their stands, uh, we were giving people the opportunity to learn how to eat and make healthy eating choices. All right, so we come to uh, 2016, and uh, I saw uh, several emails that you've been sending out through the course of the season. Um, uh, have you been having trouble uh, getting people to the market? Uh, yeah, there seems to be uh, a problem. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a problem. Uh, apparently it is, but uh, we we um, had seen a significant drop-off this year in uh, people shopping at the market. I'm not sure if it has anything to do with the demographics of the area that we're in. Uh, definitely by the census track, um, where we have set our farmer's market up is a designated food desert. And I uh, thought we'd take this opportunity to bring farm-fresh produce to an, an area that's clamoring for uh, farm-fresh produce. But it doesn't seem to be working in our favor this year. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to do some uh, backtracking and uh, try to assess or evaluate uh, what happened and where the problem is and fix it. Uh, well, and that's where... Uh, Corey was going to come in had he been available on the phone uh, to talk about the uh, link participation in this Link Up Illinois, a program that uh, provides farmers markets across the state with funding for double value coupons. And uh, it, this is something obviously that South Shore Farmers Market accepted, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the, a grant was um, given to the uh, exper- awarded to Experimental Station and the Illinois Farmers Market Association, and um, that uh, grant was to provide funding for is to provide funding for Illinois farmers markets and to support the uh, markets that are operating uh, SNAP EBT programs, which we are. Uh, one of those markets that do that. And uh, I, I, I was fortunate to, to learn about all of this this past winter when I attended the uh, Illinois uh, Farmer Markets Association Conference. And uh, I was just so excited. I couldn't wait for the summer so we could, you know, get out there and uh, uh, really uh uh, put these incentives out and and tell the people, hey, you know, look what we have here. You know, uh, if you're a link participant, you spend twenty dollars. I'm going to give you another twenty dollars to spend there at the market. So there was again that opportunity to uh, uh, double the value of your purchases and and make healthy eating choices for your household. 
Well, and, and that's and that's the goal. Now, the the question is, do enough people in that area know about this? Do they have uh, the the uh, link card? And by the way, the Illinois uh, it, this used to be called food stamps. All right, SNAP. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know what SNAP stands for. Anybody uh, in the room here can help me out with that. Uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, I think. I think that's yes, close that's enough. Exactly what All right, let's give right. you a ding there, Patrick. Um, and again, it used to be that you had hard paper that you brought in. There were real stamps, and now it's all done electronically, which means that a farmer's market has to be set up to handle this electronically. Has to have a good internet connection and right. Um, I think they can also trade. Uh, so, what they do up at the Glenwood Sunday Market is they they give you tokens. Right. So. Yeah, and some places do that. Yeah, yeah as well. Um, and we, Kaida, I have to ask: were, were folks using the link cards down there? Uh, yeah, people are using the link cards. However, there's uh, a huge uh, number of uh, cash and debit credit card customers, too. Mm-hmm. Farmers markets have a reputation of selling uh, quality vegetables, and it's because they're quality, they, their prices might be a little higher than, uh, con- than in conventional grocery stores. And mm-hmm. no, Kaida? Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that. With the uh, vendors that have uh, uh, worked at uh, South Shore Farmers Market, uh-huh. I, I, I'm seeing uh, a variety of peppers and and tomatoes go for uh, the three four dollar, uh, two four dollar uh, prices like that. Yeah. Um, but but but, I'll, but okay, the, I'll, uh, I'll make farmers a... at the... Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just about to say that uh, in the last hour of the market, like at 4 o'clock before we close at 5, a couple of the uh, farmers would uh, even uh, cut those prices in half. Uh, they were practically just giving away. People could just come over and sample peach, uh, blueberries. It, it, it was It's awesome. Uh, the prices are um, really good. Now, their, their eggs can sometimes be a little pricey, but... I mean, eggs that uh, were harvested from a hen, a chicken, three, four days ago. What? What? Yeah, it's nothing compared to the eggs we get in our supermarket. Even the organic ones are weeks old. Yeah. So, um, but you know, but I, I was. Yeah. Go ahead, Peggy. I was going to say, do people realize that though? Is that enough of a draw for them? Do they realize that it is more affordable and it's fresher, or do they think it's expensive and that might be a reason why they're not coming? Well, again, let's go back to the double value coupon program. Um, if you're spending $20 and you're getting an additional $20, that didn't pose a really big problem for that many people. But uh, one, I would say maybe one out of five would, uh, oh, that's too expensive, you know. But um, again, getting the word out, we, uh, we've got two student interns, uh, actually three, Working with us, they're they're blowing up social media with the market. Uh, we're out there, uh, the four different street corners. They're passing out flyers, doing surveys, talking to people. Three churches in the area have uh, received flyers. We ride the three bus routes that stop right there at the market. 
just dropping flyers on empty seats. So when passengers board the bus, you know, they, before they sit down, they go, oh, what is this? You know, they pick it up and read it. So we are um, definitely putting our best foot forward, uh, getting the word out there. Uh, we're doing, I think, quite a good job, but it's not, okay. it's not showing. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me, let me, okay, it depends on what putting the word out there is. Um, um, not to, to bust you here, but you don't have a Facebook page. Um, don't you think that would help sell the market? You know, social media well, is so, is so important right now. Well, so again, uh, we've got the um, student interns. They're, they're blowing up facial, uh, uh, the social media mm-hmm. uh, with the market photos, uh, our demonstration chef, uh, they're hashtagging. I mean, they're, they're, they're really, that's why I have them, because those are the people who know how to do that. And uh, one of the uh, links that I sent to you with some photos, uh, that's one of the students uh, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get his own production company going. And uh, it, it, it's really awesome. The guy says, well, you know what? He says, I'll just do it every week for a bag of groceries. And I thought that was a fair deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, and again, I, I will just make my point, which you have to drive them to one site. Uh, and 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 have that as your focus. It's lovely, and I'm glad you've got the the kids helping out with social media. It would be great if you they could be driven to one site, which is a web page for the market or a Facebook page. I, I've seen entire organ ex, organizations exist simply as a Facebook page. Okay, uh, you know my friend um, Jordan Parker from Bring Your Bag yeah. Chicago. That's a classic example. That organization, she's on TV all the time. She gets interviewed all the time by the newspapers. Her whole organization is a Facebook page, and uh, and she it's also one issue, uh, but it works. So that's what I would. Um, oh, and 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 if Casey Tomato, uh, being a little snarky, says younger uh, social media people tend to avoid Facebook. Maybe he's not being snarky, you know. And I think, but that's the younger people aren't necessarily going to come to the farmers market. Not the either. ones buying, yeah. The farmers so. market. Well, let me let me let me just jump in there for a moment. We had a Facebook page, and uh, due to uh, the necessity of. Uh, 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 replacing uh, board members and different things of that nature. Uh, that Facebook page is uh, still under the past administrator, and uh, uh, we have not been able to uh, get in there with our name, and uh, we'll be clearing that up uh, definitely this, before the end of this year. Patrick? So, yeah, we did have, we did have a Facebook page, but uh, it's... Uh, the name has to be released by the uh, previous administrator of the page. Okay. And, uh, uh, Patrick, yeah. go ahead. Hi, Kaida. This is Patrick Berry from Chicago Farm Report, and I'm a regular up at the Glenwood Sunday Market in Rogers Park. Uh, so, uh, first of all, I'm jumping to your aid. Facebook, Mike, doesn't solve everybody's problems. Some people don't use Facebook, so whole neighborhoods I'm, but I'm saying it, it's in all of the above strategies, it, what you got to do. Yes, but I think the question I have for you, Kaida, is the neighborhood itself. In Rogers Park, when the Glenwood Sunday Market started five years ago, before that, I don't know that a market would have been successful. The neighborhood wasn't quite ready. Do you? What kind of um, turnout have you had at, at the market on, on the best days? And how many vendors did you have? Was it a critical mass that was 
enough to keep people coming back every Sunday, which is what we're seeing in Rogers Park. It's so heartening to see people walking down the street towards that market every single Sunday. Was that was that happening, or did you have ups and downs? What what were the numbers? You know, I can I can I can hardly understand what you're saying. There is an echo. I did uh, catch some of what you said. Um, our our vendors uh, definitely uh, were able to supply. Uh, foods, uh, produce that's indigenous to the people in the area, the uh, African-American and Latino community. So there, there was always the collard greens and green tomatoes, um, uh, the soul food uh, recipe types of things, if you will. And then uh, there were lots of peppers, uh, poblanos, and uh, the... Oh, so, peaches, the, the best peaches in the world. We had a chef uh, came back a lot for the peaches uh, because uh, he said they were the best peaches he had ever had. So, Kaida? So Kaida? Um, yes. Was it the same people coming back every week? Did you see a steady stream of people? Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, I feel really bad about canceling today because we have a good 20 loyal people that come by every Sunday no matter what. Mm-hmm. A uh, good a good 20. And I feel that I owe it to them because that type of loyalty, I have a great deal of respect. Uh, we have not this year had a great deal to offer them. And every week I'm, you know, on my soapbox preaching, uh, we're going to do better next week. Uh, we're trying. we got to get some more people out here. But those uh 15, 20 loyal people that come by just even to say hi or to sit down and have a bottle of cold water or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think I owe it to them to keep this going for the next five weeks. So what are you planning to do today? Have you you contacted all the vendors? Uh, Do they know not to be there? And and what about the people who show up? Uh, Are you going to be out there? Yes, the uh, two vendors uh, that would have been there today have have definitely been informed, and one of the students and I are going to be out there at 12 noon with flyers and surveys uh, of people who show up. We're just going to talk to them and tell them what happened, and uh, we plan to uh, resume next Sunday. So if there are a couple of other vendors who want to join, how do they reach you? How do they sign up so that they're there next Sunday and you can start again? South Shore Farmers Market, MKT, not the entire word, South Shore Farmers Market at gmail.com. Okay. What we're going to do is put the word out here. We're going to do it on our social media, uh, South Shore Farmers Market, um, South Shore Farmers MKT at uh, Gmail. Yes. Um, at Gmail, yes. Yeah. All right. And we will put that out there um, and see if we can't uh, help in some way, some small way. Uh, with the show. I've greatly appreciated Well, <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Kaida, I've known you for uh, a while now, and I know how hard you work, and that's that's what you do. That, that's who you are. Um, and uh, when you told me yesterday that you were, you were pounding the pavement looking for vendors, uh, I thought, yeah, she really is. She's out there, uh, and I know you're going to be out there um, spreading the gospel of good food today at the site. Uh, when people show up, and I'm hoping that some of those people uh, get, you know, uh, 
uh, if they're unhappy I think about when it. They show, when, they, when they show up today and they don't see three or four canopies uh, set up, they're going to say, uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, uh, maybe, you know, it'll uh, encourage them to uh, help us, you know, get the word out, too, because we, we do the survey, and it's a five-question survey. And, you know, I was giving people $5 to uh, spend at the market just for taking the survey. Mm-hmm. So all types of incentives are out there. And, and, and we're, like I said, we're putting our best foot forth and um, just trying trying to keep our heads above water. <laughs> I get it. Uh, you know, and I just got a, um, a tweet here from Jackie who says, are there other shops or restaurants nearby? People will take the time to stop at the market on their way to or from breakfast or lunch. Uh, but there, I don't think there's anything like that near where you are, is there? Uh, no. In fact, uh, 41 North and South, right there at 79th and South Shore Drive, where they've opened up uh, US 41, uh, that's the park. And then there's a little fast food place across the street and uh, a clinic that's been closed forever. And uh the Victory Garden is back there in a parking lot. So it's mostly Park District on that on one side of the street. And the other side are residents and that one small fast food business there. Uh, well, so you are the destination there in the area. Absolutely. As far as fresh food, yes, we are. And, uh, you know, it is a park. So it's a place for people also to... I would imagine bring a couple of folding right chairs there on the, mm-hmm. right there on the bike trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so take your bike down there too. So, uh, well, <laughs> we're, we're going to put the word out, Kaida. Uh, and, uh, well, thank you so kindly. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you're closed today. What, how do you know, when will you know about next week? Uh, I definitely plan to have something uh, posted and sent out uh, Wednesday at the latest. All right. Well, keep me in mind. Uh, I, I know I'm on your list. Uh, oh, yeah. You're definitely going to be kept in the loop, Mike. I, I, I don't, I, I, again, you know, I, I, I am uh, so happy that, you know, you gave me this opportunity to come on and talk about uh, the market and the incentives that we're offering to keep it going. We only got four more, four, what, five more weeks, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that we, sh- we should do really good. I, I, I really am uh, optimistic. <laughs> uh, and as, as you should be, and again, let's, let's emphasize to folks that you can use Link Up Illinois, uh, uh, double value coupons there, um, and uh, it we makes. We take WIC, we take the senior citizen farmer market coupons. Uh, we did get quite a bit of sales from those uh, mm-hmm. items, but it's the Link thing that we're really pushing Link Up Illinois, and uh, we, we've got to try to encourage people to uh, take advantage of this. And next year, um, uh, I've got some people coming on board that's going to uh, help uh, really ignite a fire, and uh, we'll, we'll be doing bigger and better things, hopefully, then. Uh, Kaida Muhammad, uh, again, thank you so much, and uh, good luck to you, and we'll keep uh, everybody posted, and uh, I will talk to you sometime this week. 
Sure, and again, thanks for having me, Mike, and you guys enjoy the rest of your day. All right, you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, there we go. It's uh, kind of a uh, unfortunate situation, uh, but these things, as you mentioned, Patrick, it takes a while sometimes to get them off the ground, doesn't it? I think the economics are very difficult, especially getting something started, and that location sounds like you don't have uh, – foot traffic, on, especially on a day that's not a really great day to go to the beach. So it, it's, uh, it's a challenge. And for the farmers, it's an economic challenge because they have to make enough money to drive in and unload and set up the tent and go back home. It's And accept Link. And accept Link, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, and actually, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, when we come back from the break. That's uh, one of the reasons Patrick here is, uh, Patrick is here to do the – Chicago Farm Report, and maybe we should chat a little bit about the economics of uh, uh, of keeping a farmer's market going and what it means to vendors. And um, uh, one of the things I wrote about on the blog is uh, you had a guest post on Chicago Farm Report um, about uh, fraud at uh, farmers' markets, and uh, that can be a big deal, and it and it it makes people jaded. And discourages them sometimes from coming to farmers market. And, and and to defend myself just a little bit about prices, um, it depends what you buy. I mean, I know that if I go to the farmers market, certainly the one in in, in Logan Square, uh, the corn's going to be a little pricier than it is at uh, a large supermarket. The potatoes, I can get a you know a, a supermarket, I can get a big bag of organic russets. Um, five pound bag and it cost me whatever and the potatoes there when you're buying them singly and weighing them it's going to cost you more it it depends what you get um and some are some things are cheaper and maybe and as kaida said though you know <laughs> hang out till they're about to close and they're trying to <laughs> unload their wares and and maybe that's the, that's the uh, the solution for some people i don't know But it's getting past the mindset that it's more expensive. It's absolutely a mindset. My brother, who should know better, uh, says, oh, you go to the farmer's market, it costs you like a dollar for each peach. But as Kaida said, those are the best peaches you've ever eaten, you know, compared Mm -hmm. to what you spend a dollar a pound at the store for. And what are you spending on your coffee every day? Exactly. So you have to think about it. Well, uh, let me put it this way. Even if I know I'm paying a little bit more, I don't care because I know it's good. Right. And you're supporting the farmers. Exactly. It's a circle. It's a mindset and you know, a priority. You, and it's that whole know your farmer, know your food. More than I understood until we started to know the farmers. I'd read that. Oh, you got to know the farmers. And now I, after five years at this market, I am starting to know the farmers. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's remarkable. Yeah. So um, it's it's – like any business, it's tough getting started. All right, well, let's let's do that break, and uh, and then we will uh, move on to uh, Chicago Farm Report with Patrick Berry. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com, or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. 
Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. My buddy Mike Novak works for an outfit that is trying to take over the country, but in a good way. Here's what I mean. He writes a column for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and that magazine is published by the same folks who publish magazines in 21 states, from Minnesota to Florida, from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. They're called State by State Gardening. And in most of the Midwest and the South, you can get your hands on a magazine that is going to teach you a lot about gardening in your own state. These great publications feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and even Mike. Well, you can't hit a home run in every at-bat. And who knows, if your state doesn't have a state-by-state gardening magazine, they might very soon. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's in there, Patrick? Uh, no, thanks. Okay. <laughs> a wise man. Just the look on his face. It's like, what is wrong with you people? We're just letting out a little energy here, okay, on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm just not loose enough to do that. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM. I'm not sure what that exactly means, but I do know that we're on the internet and the inner tubes. And uh, you can find us there, and we're we're getting some uh, folks tweeting in and stuff. Uh, and I hope that some of them can help out uh, with the South Shore Farmers Market. Before we get to Patrick and and some observations on that, and some other markets, I want to mention two things. First of all, Peggy and I both went to see Turn Here Sweet Corn um, at uh, Madison Street Theater in Oak Park this week. Um, as you know, last week we had. Uh, 
Megan Wells and Scott Jones on the show. Megan is the woman who does the one-woman portrayal of Atina Diffley, and Scott directed it. And I was, I was blown away. I was just blown away by how good the performance was. It, it was phenomenal. She was just amazing. And um, Jim and I went last night, and he's not a typical playgoer. He doesn't. He doesn't I, go to yeah, play. He doesn't, I've never met him, and he strikes. He doesn't strike me as a, as a, a play <laughs> a theater guy, okay? Let me put it that way. And he was just sitting there like, wow. Really? It, it, it was, she was so good and covered so many different emotions telling the tale mm-hmm. of how she grew up, had this passion for organic farming. Her first farm got bulldozed. They moved, and then the second farm... She stops a pipeline. Yeah, and a it's not Brothers just pipeline. a pipeline. Yes, it's the Koch Brothers pipeline. There we go. As, or as she, said, as she says, not Coca-Cola. <laughs> exactly. Not Coca-Cola. And I was sitting there watching it and, and watching all the kale scenes, too. And Jim's comment was, I need to eat more kale. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so there's one more performance. There's only four performances in this Premier, I got a feeling based, I hope they get really good response because um, it deserves to, to come back for a long run. And I got a feeling it's also because it's a one-woman show and it's sort of a bare-bones production. You can do it on a postage stamp. You could do it anywhere. Uh, and, and I hope that uh, that happens uh, where they take it to, I don't know, various groups. Uh, yeah. S- Scott was saying he's hoping to get various co-ops sponsoring it yeah and taking it to other communities yeah and and i it could go anywhere in the country it'd be great yeah so the last production is today at six o'clock at the uh, madison five. Fi- five i think it was six no it's five okay because well, i got it wrong first i okay. said three and then they said five. no it's five okay, okay so it's so, five so go check in go to the thai restaurant go to mama thai down the street and hang out and oh then really you can is go that back. what you guys did yes yes oh. but it is at the madison street theater which is at madison at home 1010 madison and oak park wow you memorize the address and everything. Yes, and, and, and and you can get your uh, brown paper tickets, I believe. Uh, but go to uh, the blog post I wrote for last week if you want more information because it's all there, the links uh, to get tickets. So 5 o'clock this afternoon, you're really going to enjoy it. All right? This is, um, this is, this is really good acting. This is, uh, you walk out of the theater just shaking your head and saying, wow, um, I'm so glad Okay. The other thing is next week, uh, we may be uh, on a road trip. Road trip. Road trip. Road trip. On the road. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Get into the spirit of it, dude. Um, we are going, uh, the Mike Novak show, up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, not to see a football game. Thank goodness. Really. Uh, although, they're going to be the better team this year. But let's it not get into that. It doesn't matter. I know that. But our team's going to be awful. Chicago's going and, to be terrible. And your point would be? My point would be we're going to a summit put on by the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project, or SRAP. Um, it's a factory farm summit. And uh, on next Sunday, they're, they're launching it at 9 a.m., so we're there perfectly, be interviewing uh, folks about the issues surrounding factory farms, uh, and uh, get some of the audio from some of the keynotes uh, who are speaking that morning. Um, I think it's going to be a really intense show. 
Uh, but fun. Always, we always make it fun. We, we do the best we can. And, you know, being in Green Bay, you have to have fun. I'm not even sure what that means. Uh, so I uh, hope you tune in next week uh, when we um, uh, broadcast live from Green Bay, Wisconsin, for the Factory Farm Summit. Uh, and uh, we'll have more about that as the week goes on. But uh, back to uh, Patrick Berry of the Chicago Farm Report. Um, where do we start here? Uh, you, you mentioned uh, we were talking about uh, uh, farmer's market and one of the oh, – and let me congratulate you on – Again, the, the continuing work on the Chicago Farm Report, and you guys, uh, if you if you haven't been there, you need to go to chicagofarmreport.com. Um, and I love the fact that you're bringing in guest bloggers as well, and they come up with some really interesting stuff. So what Chris Holman has written is he's written a guide to this that says what to watch for at the markets that's not yeah. right. And so he knows that if you're seeing uh, a summer vegetable in March – Unless it came out of somebody's very intensive uh, winter greenhouse, heated greenhouse, it didn't come from around here. Um, and, and, and celery, other things that just don't grow here, artichokes, you're not going to grow an artichoke here, although a few farmers have tried. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a big artichoke crop. Yeah, not enough for the market. But, but, but it's common sense. It's knowing a little bit about the growing season and what is is in season at any given time. That's exactly right. But and not I, everyone knows that. No, but I no. think the more we go to markets, the more you start to see, when you see the signs that say last week of blueberries, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times that's right. The following week there are no blueberries there, or maybe one of the farms has them and the other one doesn't. Or they've kept it in their refrigerator for a while. Some of the Michigan farms will hold them because mm-hmm. people want them, and they had an excess crop. Yeah. Oh, and uh, some of them, uh, managed to store their crops very yeah. well. We've been able to get stuff, you know, four or five months after certain things, uh, squash and potatoes and things that are perfectly good. Yeah. Um, but they tell us, oh, we have a real, uh, the apple guy at, at Glenwood Sunday Market, he says, oh, yeah, we have a really good way of storing our apples, and they stay good for into November or so. Yeah, and, and um, earlier this year, a couple of times this year, we, we went to, again, Logan Square Market, and uh, I remember in the spring uh, asking one of the vendors, how long is the asparagus going to be here? And they said, oh, a couple more weeks. Mm-hmm. And I asked the same thing about the blueberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in June or late June, early July, something like that, I said, uh, I assume you're not going to have blueberries much longer. And they said, nope, maybe a couple more weeks. Mm-hmm. And so you just you, you find that out. But the other tip, <laughs> which is kind of funny, um, from that article was look around. And if you see boxes that say California peaches, <laughs> um, you, you you might be being duped. Right. right. Trick box. Yeah. And you can also, he suggests, ask, ask the people. And if they are real farmers and they are using season extension techniques, mm-hmm. you say, wow, you've got lettuce already? They'll say, oh, yeah, we've got that because we started it um, in our greenhouse in January or whatever. So um, you can you can learn a lot just by talking to the talking to the farmers, and you can tell if they're if they're selling you their stuff or if they're selling you something they don't really know that much about. Um, the other thing that uh, you wrote, uh, well, again, another guest blog here. You got a lot of them here. Um, is uh, about state line farm beginnings, um, and that's via the Angelic Organics Learning Center, and they're accepting applications. Uh, and I'm glad you're. Uh, you're promoting that because uh, 
we certainly need more farmers, don't we? That's right. They've got till the end of October to uh, apply, and that's a, ter- a terrific program. There's like 240 graduates of that program who are farming or you know out there in that farming community now. Mm-hmm. Kathleen Bolin of uh, Angelic Organics wrote that piece. Uh, and there, a lot of the farmers that we see in the marketplace, out, out of the markets or in the CSA operations, they came up through that that program and uh as you say we need we need more Mm -hmm. we need more of these trained people who have worked first of all they go through a 10-week uh program of of uh coursework and then they uh are hooked up with a mentor farmer they work with that farmer at that farmer's farm so they're really learning the ropes of the day-to-day operations of a farm and then ideally they they get a piece of land or they've already had a piece of land that, that, that uh, they've had in mind to start with, and then they, they get going. But, you know, that, that's interesting, too, because one of the things you learn uh, from seeing that play turn here sweet corn, uh, and this is 25 years ago when they were moving uh, and uh, her husband, their, their farm gets bought out by a subdivision and bulldozers everywhere and they're looking for new land and she says you just can't find a a farm you don't go out and find a new farm because they don't exist now that may or may not be true but a lot of the land is is taken for cultivation so the idea that somebody wanting to start a farm has to find that land first and 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 often they become uh, commuter farmers. I've interviewed on my show commuter farmers. It becomes a job where you, you, you travel to your farm. You don't live on it. You travel to your farm and you work it. Uh, and if you're lucky, maybe someday you can get your own plot of land. Mm-hmm. So there, there are many different ways of, of doing that in the 21st century. And uh, the Soil Sisters tour gave us some more insight into oh, I'm, that. Oh, I'm glad you, uh, you're you bringing that up. Thank you. Some of those farms, uh, a couple of them were in the in the family for generations, but the young people are coming back and, and picking it up or taking a piece of the old family farm. So uh, Lauren Rudersdorf has a piece of her father's farm, just two acres in cultivation, four acres total. That's Raleigh Hill Farm. Um and that that kind of uh, just taking a chunk of some piece of a family farm uh, is is how a lot of people seem to get started taking a uh, small piece out of what was corn and soybeans and putting it into multi multi vegetable cultivation. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the soil sisters because uh, you know we had uh, Linda Kiverest on the show earlier this year and she was promoting. Um, Two two events, and you went to one of them, Peggy, right? In her shoes? Yes, in her boots. In her boots. I'm sorry. Not in Lisa's boots, but and, it was called in her boots. <laughs> right. Not literally, and not in sandals either. In her boots. Um, and uh, then there was the Soil Sisters event, which was a weekend, including the tours. Uh, how was it uh, doing all that? It was fantastic. Just getting out to the farms and seeing them is so informative and hearing the stories because the whole idea is it's it's like an open house they come in they show you around and you really uh understand first of all these farms aren't necessarily big 
two acres, four acres under cultivation. These that's not that's that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it well, the urban farmers say you can do something on a quarter acre. So yeah. these are intensive, small farms with sixty, eighty different uh, crops growing, little patchwork farms, which I think is the way farming always used to be before the monoculture mm-hmm. took over. So there's what we saw was uh, uh, five farms, and all of them were patchworks. All of them had had at least 50 varieties growing. All of them used uh, successive plantings uh, as to ex- extend the season as much as they could. They all planned very aggressively about having produce all through the year for their market or for their CSAs. Uh, and uh, for the most part, they were sustainable organic operations, which is informative as well because you see that they're they're working with weeds. They're dealing with weeds all the time, and they're not killing them with chemicals. What they're doing is they're either coexisting with them or, or in many cases, they're putting down cover crops that are so um, strong that the cover crop wipes out the weeds over the over the winter in the in the rotation. So that's the secret, huh? It's Well, I think they have a lot of different secrets. And yeah. they also use a lot of uh, different uh, cultivation that encourages insect life. And they, for the most part, seem to be able to manage the pests through natural means. Yeah. That they keep it down to a to a, a point where it does not damage the production. I just got a tweet from uh, Casey Tomato, who, who says, "Commute farm here," though I think of it as cow birding. I'm not sure what cow birding. I don't know what oh. that. Cowbirds, they uh, take somebody else's nest and put mm-hmm. their, put their ah. eggs in. Oh, yeah, they kick the other. Yeah. There we go. See, it's, I need a translator here, yeah. Casey. Uh, uh, well, uh, if you want more information about all these great stories, you should go to the source, which is chicagofarmreport.com. What are you working on right now that's uh, exciting and we need to know about, Patrick? Uh, well, I'm th- uh, I've got stories in the works that I have not got far enough along to give you the details of. You can't even you can't you can't tease no. us with something I, here. Sorry, don't don't have so. Any so, are you hunting down more data from uh, the city of Chicago like you did that one time? Uh, I'm trying to do some stuff about the, the economics of farmers markets, but that's uh, it's oh. a complicated subject. Yeah, it takes. Uh, I want, so it'll be kind of a follow up to. Uh, some of the things we talked about yeah. today. I would like to get some real numbers out of the farmers markets about uh, critical mass of vendors, how many visitors come through, what kind of revenue, especially at the low end. What is the lowest amount of revenue you need to, to come to a to market? To sustain a market, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. And make it worth your while because you're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and yeah. driving into Well, the not, not only the, the vendor – but how does the market stay? That too. Both, yep. because there's, yep. there's two, two, two sides of that yep. story. The market people who are trying to get the vendors in and the vendors who need to make some money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Berry, always a pleasure to have you here. Um, you're welcome to stick around for uh, DeMaio Palooza, at least a little bit of, of you, because he, there was, was a DeMaio sighting earlier. He poked his head. I didn't see the inflatable uh, kayak, though. Um, and, and he can probably hear us out in the lobby, Rick. Go get that kayak. Get the. It'll be a. There'll be a like a twenty second delay, and then he'll hear it. And then I want him to run. Yeah, except that he's coming in here pretty quick. We'll uh. see what happens. All right, uh, it's the Mike Novak Show. Second big hour of the program coming up next. Captain's log, stardate four two three two six point one. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mister Wolf, status report. 
Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Worf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Hello, I'm sorry I lost myself. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. And this is specifically... Specifically for uh, Mr. DeMaio here. And uh, Mr. DeMaio is in the studio. It is a beautiful Sunday. It is a great Sunday. I got through all the construction and destruction on Western Avenue from Addison southward to Elston. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy there. Although it's it's a lot better than it was. I haven't been in this stretch for quite some time. I used to be um, a regular because my son went to Lane Tech. Oh. And I would constantly use this path to um, pick him up or drive him there or go to events. And um, I remember that bridge that goes over the Chicago River was literally a war zone for about five or six years. Remember that? Yeah. And yeah. and frequently you saw either people with blowouts or hubcaps at the other end of they the bridge. They would just go <laughs> flying out, you know. Yeah. So this is good that they're doing that. I mean, the city needs to repair their infrastructure and hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll help the uh, overall – um, paths of cars and trucks and bicycles as well. Yeah. Well, you know, you couldn't take a bicycle over no. that bridge. You were taking no. your life in your hands right, right. By, by doing – just driving over right, it, you were taking right. your life in your and, hands. And speaking of kayaks, I know Peggy mentioned this before. I don't have my inflatable kayak with me. Why not? Um, we're so disappointed. I, I just – you know, when, when I pulled the, my muscle on my back about a month ago, I said, okay, no more kayaking for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, but I – Used to kayak and canoe this part of the Chicago River and frequently going under the Western Avenue Bridge, oftentimes when a couple of big semis would basically go over the bridge from left or from north or south, you would sometimes see pieces of concrete or asphalt fall into the river. No, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my yes. boy. It was one Yikes. of those things that all of a sudden I'm like, what was that? And I realized it was the bridge basically falling onto our heads. So, um uh, that was that was another good reason to repair the bridge, top and the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the fact that they did it at all. I mean, and and for a couple of weeks there, um, just in that whole area, mm-hmm. because there's also major construction 
at Elston and Fullerton and Damon. Oh. Damon. <laughs> okay, and they're and they're rerouting that whole thing. But yeah, because that was that was a really bad. That oh, was a, one yeah. of the worst intersections in the city. Yeah, I think it was rated the worst at one point. Was it? I, yeah, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. So that and 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 then they were then they tore down the big bridge uh, on Western, mm-hmm. and for a couple of weekends. You couldn't get in or out of the area. Right. And you, right. there were certain times of the day it was completely gridlocked and you, know, you were stuck. You know, and, and it's interesting because we talk about how um, those intersections have, you know, extremely high travel times. You have a lot of cars that are idling at the, um, uh, at the, at the lights. I, I, it would be interesting, Mike, if, if someone do a real detailed study of the ability for, for plants and trees to flourish in those areas. I'm sure it's not very high. And if you would do some sort of study on birds, do birds actually try to build a nest or a life in those areas? So, you know, one of the reasons why – well, I shouldn't say one of the reasons. One of the good things about moving the traffic through those areas faster or just even more efficiently, it probably helps the, the ecosystems and the biodiversity of even urban areas. And then in, and in, and in people on bikes, you're sitting there and you're, and you're breathing and basically fumes for almost five or eight minutes. So yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of benefits from it. There really are. <laughs> well, uh, and, you know, and that's an actually interesting point, which has nothing to do with um, weather or mm-hmm. meteorology or climate. But, but A lot to do with the environment and but, sustainability. But no, exactly. Yeah. But mm-hmm. watching uh, Chicago, and this is really in the past 10 years, mm-hmm. become a bicycle city. It's really changed. Yeah, yeah. They, they've done good things, and I think I think when when they put in that bike lane north of um, I think it was Addison on Elston all the way to Foster Avenue, or it was a disaster because they took out one of the lanes for cars, mm-hmm. and they made it a two lane to a one lane. And what it did was it actually increased the travel times. And I don't really see a lot of bikes on that part of Elston. Yeah, well, you know, but in other places like Milwaukee, uh, it, Milwaukee yeah. has become. Oh yeah bike central all yeah. right and mm-hmm. unfortunately mm-hmm. there there was a fatality recently right. uh and there's been a, a couple of fatalities oh, yeah. oh, recently yeah. and and unfortunately that's going to be part of the tra- right. transition right. right uh but we're not beijing yet uh, and we don't well, want to become beijing from a standpoint of air quality <laughs> no we don't yeah but, but but and one of the ways you do that is you have more bicycles right, on the road right 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 and i if, can remember um back in the 80s as my brother was living in london uh, and um, I went to visit him, stayed for about a month, and he had a bicycle waiting for me when I got there. Nice. And so I was out there in London. It's a great city to bicycle. Yeah. I mean, because the, the streets are small. You have and, bike-able, bikeable weather, if you want to call it that. Yeah. 11 months out of the year. But I'll tell you something. They had the, the what do they call them, the circles, the traffic circles. Mm-hmm, you're taking mm-hmm. your life in your hands if you're on a bicycle there. Because I, When I was in Paris last summer, I had a bike with me every day. They're everywhere. And I biked around the Arc de Triomphe, which was insane. Because in, in the Arc <laughs> no, 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 no. The river is sane, okay? Yeah, I know that. No, no, no. But, <laughs> Thank but, you very much. Thank you. But, but, but there's about, I think, one, two, I think there's eight lanes of traffic that go in and out of the Arc de Triomphe. It is absolutely crazy. Um, and I actually got across it to hang out under the Arc. And then a, a nice gentleman um, with a, um, a uniform on and an AK-47 who was part of the Paris police. That's what they, that's what they, they carry out there. And some of the, Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 Well, they've had some issues. Yeah. Said you true. need to take your bike out of here and back over where you were. I'm like, well, can I go back through this way where the people are? He goes, no, you have to come the way you came. 
which was basically trying to get across eight lanes of traffic. I, I did it, but it was crazy. Oh, my um, goodness. So, yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, getting back to the environment, biking is great for reduction of air pollution. Uh, I think the And your health. And your health. As yeah. long as you're not sucking in carbon mono- right. monoxide. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we got a long way to go on that, but I think uh, Mayor Emanuel and his staff has gone a long way to promote that, even though they got rid of the Department of the Environment years ago, which is still a big sticking point. You know, point. It's, it's a huge sticking point with me. Uh, I don't know if it is with you. Um, I'm so glad that the bike thing is working. You know, it's his record on the environment is, is the best, you can say. The absolute best is that it's mixed. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I, yeah. I feel about it. By the way, i got to try some because you never sure. hear this when you're on the phone calling in. Okay, I oh, just wow. want to make sure that the, that – Whoop, there yeah. it goes again. There's all kinds of stuff that happens here that yeah, you can't you know, hear on like the phone. When we play the music and stuff, apparently it doesn't go through the phone, so which is a shame because I'm, I, I think I, I hear it sometimes. Yeah. You might hear it in the, in, in the background. Who knows? But uh, uh, Rick DeMaio in studio. Uh, you can always give us a call if you want to ask a question, 312-985-7834, uh, or um, tweet us at Mike Now or write uh, on Facebook at the Mike Novak show, or even, uh, I, I don't have Instagram open, so I'm not sure. <laughs> there, we just posted an Instagram. Did we really? Yes, we did. We, the Roy, is that the Royal we or the editorial we? Both. Yeah, okay. both. Okay. <laughs> uh, of, of the, uh, of the that, big apple pie that I brought me, in? No, that was me doing the gymnastics to get you both into the oh, Instagram I gotcha. square. I gotcha. Oh, you did the, the photo for Instagram. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to get photos because the guests sit across. We sit across right. from each other. And there's right. this microphone in everyone's face. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the way Typical radio studio but stuff. But Rick yeah. brought in a pie from Who's Your Mama? So this will get Instagram before. And what, what kind of pie is that? Apple pie. Yeah, my yeah. fave. And because, uh, you know, getting into the apple season and trying mm-hmm. to promote local growers. And yeah. Hoosier Mama, which is on the corner of uh, Kedzie and Chicago Avenue, just a block south of Maine in Evanston. They have the best pies, um, I think, anywhere in, in the area. It's, it's really unbelievable. We didn't mention that uh, Patrick Berry brought in vegetables. Yes, he mm, brought in a bunch of peppers and... Runner be uh, some kind of bean. Oh my and goodness! We'll have to figure out how to divvy him. Look, yeah, I think there's a cucumber there too. So yeah, he's, he's bringing in the healthy stuff, and yeah. you're bringing, you're in, bringing the in the pie. I know which one I'm going to eat. <laughs> uh-huh. It's been a great year for growing things, hasn't it? Uh, oh yes, it has been. Speaking of growing except, things, except go on. Um, pottery mildew because mm. uh, you know it's been it, wet. Yeah. Uh, uh, right, exactly. It gets wet, gets dry. It gets wet, it gets dry, and the pottery mildew kind of has zapped my. Uh, because I, you know, I'm 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 the kind of guy that, that I I could put the fungicide on there, but I don't. Uh, I'll cut off some of the the leaves and get the keep the plant going for a while. Uh, but our zucchini has succumbed to powdery mildew. Spe- speaking of mildew and mold, and this may be a question. There's two questions I want you know maybe people who are listening to to throw in the mic and peg is. A, where's the best place to go to pick apples? Because I want to do some apple picking tomorrow. Oh. And, and C, if, if you're halfway through eating um, a piece of bread or, or a muffin, all right, something that was organic and did not have preservatives, and you're halfway through eating it and notice that um, – There's you, a worm in it? No, no, no. no, no, no. There's uh, some mold on it? There's some mold on it, yeah. Um, good or bad? If you like penicillin, you're, you're – 
you're you're rocking there. You're, All right. It, Just no. put more butter on it. Close your eyes. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, at that part, it, it's it's already through my esophagus and into my stomach. I can't do that. So I, I throw that part away. But it, it, if you realize that you ate some mold, okay, or didn't realize it, and you know now you realize that. Good or bad, terrible thing. Put your finger in your in your mouth. No, up I, don't, Chuck. I, I don't think it's, it's a problem. It's, it's in it's, everything we eat. Yeah. You just can't see it typically. Uh, so when you see it, is it worse than when you can't see it? Only in your head. Okay. All right. So these are all these are all good answers. I feel better now. I I don't worry about it. You know, often if if you know, okay, let me put it this way. I mean, you cut off mold off off cheese. Cheese, right? exactly. I was right. going to say. I was looking at I don't eat moldy cheese in my refrigerator just yesterday and thinking, hmm, I should uh, take. Sounds uh, like my fridge. <laughs> See, I think everybody's fridge is like that, except for. Well, People who are totally OCD. And you know? I think it depends what you have the mold on. If you open a jar of jelly and it's got fuzzy stuff at the top, you probably want to get rid of it. Right. Or, or right. definitely canned tomatoes or salsa with fuzzy stuff, get rid of it. Yeah. Cheese mold, cheese normally molds. Bread, bread normally molds. Right, right. So the bread mold, not a big deal from what you're telling me. Down with the beard. I am and not a doctor. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, 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 I don't worry about it. Let me okay, put it yeah, that right, way. Right. There's, you know, put some peanut butter on it. Let me put it butter. this way. Even, even with the, the uh, some tomatoes, when you grow your own, um, they split or they get black spots or something on mm-hmm. them, and I cut them off and right. eat the tomato, and it's usually just perfect. Right. I, I mean, right, and right. I've been doing that all week, uh, and they're great. Uh, I I taste nothing and uh, except goodness. And speaking of, of of something that we needed, which was a dry pattern, we got it. You know, this is it in yeah. spades, mm-hmm. isn't yeah, it? This it's, is, it's, this we're not going to get any uh, water here. Any precip until precip. maybe Wednesday. Okay. Maybe Wednesday. Which I think it's kind of nice to. It, but it seems like typical September when that happens. This is. It? I always say you've heard me say this for years now. We've been working together a while. Um, early early September. The nicest weather of the year. It's mm-hmm. just it's just fantastic. Uh, everything is fully grown out. Everything is fully green. The only thing is that we know that in <laughs> in two months it's all gone. It's all gone. But but that's the way it goes, you it's, know. And, yeah. and and the rejuvenation starts and the renew- right. renewal. Um, you just want it to last yeah, longer. I was you know? I was literally thinking this morning the heat could be on in a month. Uh, oh yeah, scary. yeah. The heat in your house, yeah. It's oh yeah, just oh, scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it got a little chilly last night. You know, you felt oh, a little no, bit. Of... I did too, but it was nice. Yeah, man, yeah, just pull the covers yeah. up a little mm-hmm, bit. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you're teaching these days at Loyola, is yeah. that right? Yeah, Loyola University. You're um, an adjunct. Adjunct at Loyola. Adjunct at um, uh, Lewis University. An affiliated adjunct at Oakton. Community College. Wow, I didn't realize you were doing all three. Okay. Yeah, um, I try to not to. You know, talk about that as much. I like to make the colleges think that where I teach, I'm the only person there. But, uh, but most adjuncts they will know. They yeah, know. yeah, they can always find out. Yeah. Um, but at Oakton, I'm affiliated, which means that I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm full time, but I'm not expected to be part of committees and things like that. But I am on one committee right now, which is how to get uh, more high school students uh, involved in in science. Uh, in, in environmental science and sustainability in, if you want to call it, meteorology. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're doing is we, we conducted a, uh, a survey of, of some faculty members at Oakland Community College, which runs a great STEM program, science, technology, engineering, and math. And every year they run the, uh, the Chicagoland Northeast Illinois Science Olympiad, which you have all these students basically from, I want to say, grade four up through grade 12, 
uh, and they come into Oakton, I believe it's in late March, uh, for one day, and they basically go through um, exams, 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 and, and, and each school has a team of their smartest. And at the end, we figure out who was the best, and they get awards. Um, so from that, as, as well as the different districts that feed Oakton, uh, we're contacting all the different high schools and making sure that their science teachers are aware of some of the, you know, some of the internships, some of the volunteer programs. But, but more than anything, um, not, not, not checking up on the high school teachers to see what they're teaching is the right thing or the right way, but getting them more involved in um, wanting to come to community college. And this is the key. Is, is getting an inner-city kid or, or inner-suburban kid interested in community college and not putting the pressure on them that the only way they're going to succeed outside of high school is to go to a four-year university. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who get kind of ostracized because they didn't have the grades to go to a four-year school, so they go, well, I'm only going to Oakton or I'm only going to Harper. Community colleges are the bomb these days. I, I really believe that there is a huge push. That's a quote, by the way. <laughs> Community colleges are the bomb. It, Rick DeMaio. It, it, it really is. And with President Obama's um, you know, plan to make it more affordable um, and, and to, to put more money towards it, there's been a huge increase in students, not only young but also old, going back to school. And community colleges is where you can go and still be at home and work and, and, and learn a lot. So part of the program that we're doing at Oakton is to get the high school students involved through the high school teachers, and then that'd be a nice, you know, kind of bridge to go right into Oakton or Harper um, or Northeastern, which is a private school, um, but, but to not feel bad about the fact that they're going to a two-year school. Sometimes I, I talk to students and they go, well, I'm here first before I go to U of I. I, go, I understand it, but don't feel bad about it. You're in college. You're learning, mm-hmm. and, and that's an admirable thing. So we're trying to make sure that, that the signs that they're getting in high school will help them by the time they get to college. That's great. That's yeah. that's that's just great stuff. And and Oakton's got a huge garden in the back in, in the back of the uh of the, of the nature building there um or the natural science building there rather. Uh, a beautiful outdoor garden. They got some indoor stuff as well and and some of that some of those things they use to help teach the students as well in ecology and biology and things like that. You know, one of the things and by the way we're talking to meteorologist Rick DeMaio and one of the things that has changed over the years since you and I went to college is and I find this when I Google you or look you up in a search engine, your name, and they have rate my professor online yeah. and, and those things that's got to be a little annoying and frustrating to have those things because then any <laughs> any idiot kid can can rip you a new one, yeah. and uh, there's not much you can do about it and in the old days um it would there were reputations, but it was all word of mouth you know yeah it and it's part of our passive aggressive society and it's intertwined with social media where you can say whatever you want but not really stand in front of someone and talk to them eye to eye where yeah. you're going to probably edit what you're saying or you're going to say you know what I, I i liked this part but i really wish you've done it done this differently so um part of rate my professor is good because the good teachers will get the students because they're good they're good teachers which is good but some teachers who may have had, you know, a bad semester where things just didn't click, you know, next thing you know, you'll get a couple of really awful reviews and kids will look at it. Next thing you know, word spreads. Yeah. Um, and also, and I don't want to get too picky about this, but it used to be you would fill out a form. Now evaluations are done through, you know, basically a, a laptop or, you know, a, a computer in, 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 the, in the school library. 
and you can you can just let it all out and, and send it, and all of a sudden you may have department chair looking at thirty good ones, and they see two bad ones, and they go, "Hey, look at these two bad ones here. What yeah. happened?" Yeah. So um, there there are some good things about it, but I think ultimately people just have to realize that words that are typed once you push the send button, you can't get them back. Yeah, you know sometimes you got to go. I don't think I really wanted to say that. And that's just how social media is. And that's how it is. Yeah. It's very and passive aggressive. I saw this article. There's an article, I think, in the latest Time magazine um, about how the trolls have taken over the Internet. And yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yeah it, right, right. I saw that. Yeah. Have we built this, this what is it, a, a, a culture of hate exactly. know, through the Internet? Yeah. And, and we have. There's a lot of that out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't see it that much. You know, it's interesting because Twitter always comes up. Nobody... All right, I'm, I'm setting myself up here, but I, I rarely have anybody come after me on Twitter, all right? And maybe it's because we're information-based. We're, I'm, I'm not putting a lot of opinions out there. Usually we're putting out links to, to uh, information yeah. you can mm-hmm. learn and read about. Uh, so I don't get that sort of backlash. But Twitter seems to be the worst, and I just don't experience so i'm i'm knocking on wood here i'm hoping i don't and you know? and there's so many people you know when i was in you know tv for 16 years i'm glad i was out before the facebook and twitter sensation you know basically cast a different you know shadow on how we're supposed to do things yeah and you would have literally probably news directors going make sure when you're home and you find this to be interesting send this out on your facebook or your twitter feed and, and everybody's going well, wait a minute when i leave work i'm done you know, but now people are working not anymore at, at right 18, 19, 20 hours a day. And sometimes sending tweets out that they go, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, mm-hmm. so there's much more of that. And I make sure first off, I've, I've never had a Twitter account. And I make sure that if I get any of these requests from students to like them on Facebook, I usually just say no. I, I, I think there's, 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 there's a wise choice. Yeah, the, thanks, you, you, but no thanks. Yeah, you gotta have this certain you know boundary between the student, the distance. Teacher, yeah, and it's yeah. weird because I'm in completely opposite frame of mind because I want people to follow me so they'll know about the show, so they'll, they'll listen oh, yeah. to the show, and oh, yeah. and it's a different thing. But I still have to be careful because I get these friend requests, and there are no, there's no other information, and mm-hmm. no mutual friends, and. Now I got to make a judgment call, and I got to go to their site and try to see if I can find right. something that will give me a clue. Um, and if I can't, then I delete it. There's and not many much of I those could... are just phishing. Yeah, they're exactly. not real. You got to be careful right. about. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Uh, to the subject at hand, the New York Times this morning headline: "Flooding of coast caused by global warming has already begun." Mm-hmm. And uh, what they say here, I, I, I was, and I just saw this because Patrick alerted me to this before uh, he left. He says, for decades, the, as the global warming created by human emissions caused land ice to melt and ocean water to expand, scientists warned that the accelerating rise of the sea would eventually imperil the United States coastline. Now, those warnings are no longer theoretical. Right. The inundation of the coast has begun. The sea has crept up to the point that a high tide and a brisk wind are all it takes to send water pouring into streets and homes. Yeah, and I think we saw that um, yesterday in parts of Atlantic City with the storm surge and the, the high winds due to you know the remnants of which was which was at that point yesterday tropical storm Hermine. Um, it didn't. It doesn't take much now. Hermine is pushed a little bit further out into the sea, expected to then move westward. So even though it's not going to have the same, quote, path that Sandy did, which was pretty much 
east to west. Um, the fact that it's sitting there for 72, almost 96 hours, yeah. this constant battering of the waves, what you're doing is you're taking the sand um, at the, the basically the, the edge of the shoreline, removing it, and now having less of a barrier, a natural barrier, to protect your 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 coast or or your streets, you know, from the inland flooding, um, and it's very interesting to note, Mike, um, the National Hurricane Center yesterday when what we call the deep convection ring that usually surrounds a hurricane or tropical storm, once that was detached to the north and east, Hermine became what's called a non-tropical storm. Now, mm-hmm. Hurricane Center will follow all tropical systems. When Sandy became non-tropical back in 2012, they said the storm has now become non-tropical. We are handing off all watches and warnings to the local National Weather Service offices. That was a PR and forecasting disaster Mm. because what happened was everything was now pushed off the National Hurricane Center. All of your National Weather Service sites, which along that area is probably about maybe five or six, Philly, um, New York City, Boston, down into Washington, D.C., Charleston, uh, North Carolina, or Charleston, South Carolina, Cape Hatteras. They had to then handle all their own forecasting from a standpoint of winds and waves, which is okay. But what happened was Sandy was no longer called a hurricane. So all of a sudden people said, well, what do we call it? And then it became called, you know, it became a superstorm, which no one really knew what that was. But what happened was the people who lived closest to the shoreline didn't really then take the storm seriously enough to protect themselves. So you had you know, 9, 10, 12-foot storm surge, which is almost Category 3, for a non-hurricane. And people were pretty upset about it. Uh, about two months later, I was at a National, Hur- a National Weather Service, or AMS, American Meteorological Society, conference in Austin, Texas. And they had a town hall meeting um, on Hurricane Sandia. How did we do? What could be done better? The room was reserved for 400. About a half hour before the meeting started, there was about 1,000 people lined up. Whoa. The, you know those big halls with the, with the walls that separate? They had to, they had to open that up. Mm-hmm. And the director of the Hurricane Center, Rich Nab, was up there talking about why they did what they did. And everybody sitting there going, okay, stop defending yourself and just say, you, you, you didn't screw up, but you made the wrong decision based on the manual, based on what you're supposed to do. And this is why people didn't take the storm seriously. So what happened yesterday after Hermine became non-tropical, the Hurricane Center said, even though Hermine is no longer non-tropical, we will be issuing all hurricane or statements and forecasts and advisories until Hermine is completely no longer a threat. Mm. So they switched gears. They realized that they needed to do something on this. Another thing that they did was they took their, their storm surge forecast, which is literally based on a tropical weather system. Now, tropical weather systems, most of the... The winds are surrounding the eye of the storm, literally within, say, 5 to about 15, 20 miles out. When you get a non-tropical storm, the wind radius actually builds further outward because the storm basically becomes flatter. So what they said was, no longer are we using the tropical weather forecast model for storm surge because it hasn't been working. We will go with a different model. So they did two things. They changed their authority on the storm and they altered the way that they're forecasting storm surge. Two really good things that, that, that was a result of public backlash and also the realization that, you know what, our previous method of doing science didn't work. So even your best scientists in the world, every once in a while, I tell my students this, you have to be able to allow yourself to be humbled. 
If all you're going to do is sit up there and say, nope, I did it right because this is the way I'm supposed to do it, you're not going to become a better scientist. Yeah. And a lot of people back in 2012 said, well, Sandy was a one in 100-year storm. I said, you know, we'll see another one of these in five years. I was wrong. It's been four years. Well, <laughs> Hermine is, is doing almost the exact same thing as Sandy, not as strong, but it's becoming a strong system that's not moving due to the fact that the Gulf Stream in that area is incredibly warm mm-hmm. and the upper level winds are not kicking it out. They're actually pushing it back. This is the norm. This is going to be the norm. We played that at the top of the show. Um, you probably didn't hear it, but um, right, at, I, I, it was um, Seth Myers did a piece on, on this stuff and the 500-year events <laughs> happening. We've had... And he, has a, he had a guy on, I don't know if it's a scientist or an observer, somebody, he quotes him on the show, says, we've had eight 500-year events in the last year in the United States alone. Yeah, I think from a flooding standpoint, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, part of that also is maybe the previous way that we measured these 500-year events was based on a stagnant population. So I think that number is probably not a good number. You know, so when you say it's a 500 year something, what was that based on? What was the rubric used? What was the yeah. what was the analog? It probably wasn't a very good one. So you have to throw that out and maybe say it was a 250 or, or a one <laughs> or a one. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, the science yeah. in the beginning probably wasn't that good. So when people say, yeah, but this is how it used to be. I'm like, yeah, but how good was was that when you in retrospect, if you go back and look, well, at our the, data was not the same then as it is now, for one thing. Yeah. And, and the population is expansion and, and, and all those other things as well. And, and how humans have affected the environment probably wasn't understood. So, so, so the base that that we're comparing it to is not a good base. Yeah. It just it just was not a good. So base. here we have this art. And by the way, uh, the good thing that that came out of that uh, that situation that you mentioned is that something improved and it was science. yes okay. <laughs> science uh and uh which is now loud enough yeah you, you you it, it's it, it it should be more like science. there we go there you go science. it it it's always difficult to admit that as a really smart person you were wrong okay uh you have to be able to say we, we need to go back i mean after after 2004 2005 all you kept hearing about was we're in, a, we're in an increasing trend for hurricanes. That was the worst thing to say. Just because the, earth, the, the ocean temperatures are warming, you were going to get more hurricanes. You need three things for hurricanes. You need warm oceans. You need lack of low-level shear. You need a lot of upper-level divergence, which allows the storm to grow. We've had some years of really warm water, some years of near normal, and some years of below normal. Um, and we've noticed that, that the overall upper-level winds – have not allowed hurricanes to develop their, their normal way. There's been too much low-level shear um, coming across the, the equatorial regions. So even this storm, Hermine, which started out all the way on the west side of or off the west coast of Africa, by all accounts, it should have been a hurricane a week and a half ago, but it just kept getting ripped apart, ripped apart, ripped hmm. apart. Not until it got into the eastern gulf where the water was a little bit warmer in a concentrated area and had very little wind did it finally become a tropical storm and a hurricane. And we got lucky because the Big Bend area of Florida, where it hit, is, is not a very populated region. That's a lot of marshland. You have very few people live on there. And you had three to four-foot storm surge, and Cedar Key had a 7.5-foot storm surge, which, by the way, I was there over the summertime. I spent, I spent an afternoon on Cedar Key Beach. Wow. Because it was about a two-hour drive from my parents' house. Um, so to see it on TV, I'm like, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I think I was the, I was the weather 
Black Plague for the Southeast? Because when I drove from, 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 from Chicago down to Florida, seriously, I stopped in Valdosta, Florida at a Chick-fil-A and got lunch, and they were hit. I, I went down to Florida. I went to Cedar Key. They had their record storm surge. Then I came back. It north. was because you stopped at a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, That's that was the really problem it. right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I stopped off in, in Charleston, South Carolina, visited my friend. Her meme went right over the top of Charleston. Then I came back here, spent a couple of weeks at home. Then I went back east, mm-hmm. visited um, family in the Poconos, went down to Cape May and also Ocean City, Maryland, which were then now being affected by Hermine as well. So um, no one's going to let you into the no, restaurant. No one's going to let you in. This is the guy that was here. Um, you, you know, know what's amazing ago. though about the East Coast is that all these things are so much. They seem so much closer together than you know uh, out here in the Midwest and in the West. Um, you're not making a side trip from st louis mm-hmm. to yellowstone or anything like that okay it's that's mm-hmm. that's two yeah. days yeah that's two days you know and um uh but on the on the east coast a lot of these areas are are i'm not saying florida is right next to new york right but, right right but, but, but it's so much denser population yeah. there yeah you go down to charleston beautiful city but you have homes that are literally built on on a brick wall with a fence and then there's the ocean which, yeah. which mm-hmm. is right there so obviously the effects are much greater but to get back to the earlier point about, you know, we had Sandy and we had Hermine. Now, Hermine's not going to be a billion-dollar storm. It'll probably be a multi-million-dollar storm for the Northeast. It's not going to turn in the way it, that no, Sandy it, did? It's, it's still going to go in a little bit. But the thing with Sandy is Sandy was such a much larger storm. It had a much larger storm surge that once Sandy started pushing, it didn't stop. So when, when it got into that New Jersey, New York area, not only did it hit during high tide, but also full moon as well. Uh-oh. So you had 12 to 13 to 14 foot storm surge. And I seem to recall that there was a front that was backing up at the same time, oh, yeah. pushing Sandy. So you had the, the hurricane winds and then you had this front coming in from the northeast right. and, and backing in and right. pushing it all pushing it all inland. Yeah, the, the whole thing metamorphosized into something that we had never seen before. Um, but if you look at the overall dynamics with, with Sandy and the overall dynamics with Hermine, they're the same. They, they literally are the same. It, it's, like, it's like looking at, a, at, a, at an NFL player and like a college football player. They're, 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 they look the same. They're built the same, but one's bigger and one's not. Mm-hmm. And, and this is going to be something that they have to be concerned about is slow-moving storms, uh, the erosion of, of beachfront property, which is going to be huge with this event. Probably not as much, but, but think about the economic loss of people not going to places like Ocean City, Maryland, and Cape May, and the boardwalk of Atlantic for City. For Labor Day. For Labor Day weekend, yeah. which is usually one of, it's, it's, it's more populated on Labor Day weekend because the weather's usually much better, much better than on, on Memorial Day weekend. Right. And you have four days, uh, Friday night or Friday night, four nights, f- Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and half of Monday. So your hotels are probably still getting their money because people have, have, you know, have rented it or, 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 or uh, reserved it a while ago. But it's all your secondary and tertiary things, like like someone taking out a boat, um, your restaurants, your, um, uh, your your beach passes, which you know cost uh, six bucks, whatever. So this is this is the wave of the future from that standpoint. And and you know what? As much as people can be climate deniers, the people who were impacted by Sandy, they're not climate deniers. They they saw it happen and are like, I ain't waiting around for this again. When I was in Ocean City, Maryland, I was amazed. The beach is all built up about six to eight feet above the above the shoreline. So it's mm-hmm. not like Lake Michigan. You literally walk into the beach. Right. You almost have to literally walk down 
a, a, a little you know embankment to get to the water because of these events. Because these of these events, they built them up, and there now there's like a four foot concrete um, seawall that has been yeah. reinforced. It's always been there, but they're not taking any chances with this. So, yeah. so the one in five hundred has now become a one in probably five or ten year. Oh my goodness! Uh, mm-hmm. That's a meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Uh, and it takes me to the question, which we'll get to after we do a, a short break here, mm-hmm. which is the question I posed to you last week. You got these nimrods out there who are still saying, uh, we're not causing this, uh, or even worse, it's not happening. Right. Okay. And we you, don't need to do anything about it. And in, it's all a conspiracy. And, right. and mm-hmm. here we got the front page, lead story, New York Times. Uh, this liberal morning. paper. That's right. Sunday. New York Times, no mm-hmm. less, saying it's it's here, it's already yeah. here. So how do you, you know? And so do those people just say, no, it's not here. There's not flooding going on. I mean, what what is your defense? Is it it's insane? Yeah, there, there really is no defense. There really is no defense. Yeah. So, yeah, so you can go to the break, and we'll talk about it after. All that. right, let me do this first, uh, Peggy. Uh, the September October issue of Chicago Land Gardening Magazine has hit the newsstands, and boy, that's going to leave a mark. Uh, nevertheless, there's a terrific article by Kathy Jean Maloney about a $7 million restoration project at Chicago's Jackson Park. It involves landscape architects, engineers, historians, and ecologists in an effort that she says might be the first time uh, such a significant landscape has been restored with an equal emphasis on history and ecology. And then there's always my column on the inside back page of every issue. Many people have tried to renovate my words, but sometimes things are just broken beyond repair. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com, but if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. You might have missed your opportunity to get the Mike Novak discount, but this is still a great time to order your native plants online. Order from Native Communities Native Plants. Owner and operator Nick Fuller was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he says that, like non-natives, it's a good idea to get the plants started now, before the cold weather hits. Now, there's all kinds of plants you can get started as plugs now, such as liatris and coneflower and coreopsis and sedges and even ferns. Fern, uh, Fuller says that if you're new to native landscaping and looking for a good launching point, take a look at their native plant kits, as they have a pretty solid palette of native landscaping plants to start with, from shady and sunny to wetter areas as well. From there, the sky's the limit. So plant with Chicagoland's native plant source, Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net and tell them Mike Novak sent you. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives, and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. 
Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. song is also in honor of Rick DeMaio. And we did. We got him in studio. Oh, Yay! Peggy, yes, it is DeMaio Palooza on the Mike Novak Show. And Peggy has opened the Do Not Open box, which has uh, apple pie in mm-hmm. it. Wow. From locally grown farmers. This is just from Hoosier Mom. That is a beautiful pie. We, it, all right, it's kind of all right. Just I, I think a photo. I think a photo way. of the pie has to go up on uh, on the Twitter distraction. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're we're discussing climate change and weather and uh, more and more. Rick, they're they're really connected, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. And and the, and the thing people have to realize um, is. You can, you can learn about climate change through just reading a book and saying, okay, this is what climate used to be, and this is what it is now. But but the best way to learn about something, is, especially when it's changing, is to keep up with how climate is affecting weather. Now, I've actually had some 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 pretty – well, we'll call them healthy debates with other people in the field of academia – um, and I won't name the schools, okay? Uh, but 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 how to properly teach climate change? Do you just teach climate change, or do you teach climate variability, which is how climate change induces variability in patterns? And then do you also teach how it alters, you know, synoptic scale weather patterns, which is basically a large scale pattern that can impact weather for three days? Um, and do you also teach some of the not so much the fallacies, but the things that we've gotten wrong over the last 10 or 15 or 20 years with climate change. So you can look in a textbook and it may say warmer waters will lead to stronger hurricanes. Well, not all the time. OK, you're not going to get strong hurricanes all the time. You're going to get weak ones. So what you need to be able to do is to inform the student that every once in a while things aren't going to work out the way that we said them. However, you can still learn from that. In other words, the hurricane season has gotten longer. It's starting earlier. It's ending later. Uh, the area where the oceans are warming are moving further northward. So if you look at what happened to Hawaii uh, just this past week, they had Hurricane Madeline, which was a Category 2, just barely missed them to the south. I mean, and this is this is uncharted territory here. We don't right. see that happening in Hawaii, yeah, do yeah. we? Well, we've had four landfalling hurricanes Hawaii in the last 60 years, okay? So if you say, okay, four in the last 60 years, that's basically one every 15 years. We had two this week. Two. 
we had Hurricane Madeline, we had Hurricane Lester, literally right behind one another. Right. And I still say the biggest news story. Like CTA buses. Right, 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 right. <laughs> the ones with the, with the second, you know, little like, yeah, but, accordion part. But, but what I call leapfrogging, where they're, they're, they're right behind each other, and you go, where were you 20 minutes ago, and now uh, you're both together. I, I, know. I, remember, I remember when I was at Fox, Walter Jacobson did a story where he, he noticed that the, the, the buses were close together, and they were both the same number. And he was like, why do we need two buses close together? The first one had people on it. The second one did it. Aren't we, aren't we like, you know, like screwing the people of Chicago by not having these buses maybe 10 minutes apart? And he would have like himself waiting on the, on the corner looking like someone who takes a bus with a stopwatch. And, <laughs> and, and that, he wasn't dressed like, like a bum. No, right? no, no. Not, but, not that time. But, but, you know, that's great reporting. Yeah. That's, that's what people need to know about. Yeah. So when, when I talk about Hurricane Madeline and Hurricane Lester, both storms missed the islands directly. But they created 50, 60 mile per hour winds. They probably ruined a lot of people's vacation. Uh, they probably destroyed some parts of the ecosystem, which we don't know about. Mm-hmm. We haven't sent any any. Um, we haven't sent Michelle Hoffman down with an underwater camera to yeah, see what it and, looks and, like. And a shout out to her. Uh, she's out in the Arctic and she's sending back these amazing things about her film Microcosm. Right, right. She's back. Have... She got back about two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, she did some incredible work up there. So, so these are all the things that. That it's not so much more hurricanes, but the hurricanes are moving into areas that we've never seen before. They're going further north, like a Sandy or like a Hermine, and they're moving into areas that people were normally going, yeah, but they're not supposed to get here, and we're kind of beyond that time mm-hmm. frame. Those those things are are not so much easy to quantify in a graphic. You know, everybody wants to, wants to know. Normal is 12, we had 15, therefore it's three above normal. Or mm-hmm. normal is 12, we had nine, it's three below normal. You said it's always going to be above normal. So what I think what we did a while ago with climate change is we oversimplified some of the results. And we shot ourselves in the foot. You can't oversimplify climate change, and you, sent, you certainly can't oversimplify the effects of it. And, and, and with the growing population moving into areas that we've never seen before, um, we're learning more about how we go about predicting science especially new science mm-hmm. <laughs> new you know look look back at the 1950s you know we started to come out with all these great movies about what to do if if we split the atom underground in new mexico and it's going to disturb a whole bunch of ants and next thing you know we have ants the size of a cta bus <laughs> why did i know that was the movie you were going to bring the, up the movie them. them right them but 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 peggy we, we we were able to get to the 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 overall larger population through things like through those movies, movies. And, and through books, because you know the scientists weren't going to tell us that. They weren't going to say, you know what, if we don't do this correctly, there's going to be flying ants in L.A. and, you know, the size of <laughs> but 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 and, and, and even though we tried to do it with a couple of movies, um, Al Gore's movie, Inconvenient Truth, was, was good. There was parts of it, I think, that were over the top. Uh, the movie The Day After Tomorrow was absolutely mm-hmm. terrible. It was awful. It mm-hmm. made zero sense scientifically. Well, but that was Hollywood. Al Gore's was not Hollywood, and The Day After Tomorrow was Hollywood. Right, but what do you, know, you expect from Hollywood? And, and by now, everything is just effects. Everyone figures right. it's just a special effect. Right, where, where the movies back in the 50s was a story, and the effects carried the story. Now the story has to catch up to the effects, You know, which is really a shame. So... So, yeah, because we can make we can make New York City look like it's in the deep freeze. Uh, we don't know how it gets there, but uh, we'll make it look like it. Right, and and it makes people dismiss dismiss the science e- even quicker. 
Um, it, until makes it, har- it makes it harder on. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, so you need, you need like a gut check like Sandy, you need a gut check like Hermita, maybe a gut check like Hurricane Madeline and Lester to go, you know what, maybe we shouldn't build that um, resort on the northeast side of, of Maui there. We probably should stay on the west side, which is why those resorts went in on the west side, because you're basically immune to hurricanes and high surf from a tropical storm. That could even but, be but 500 I thought that, miles away. I thought in the case of Hawaii, they traditionally come from the west going east. Don't those typhoons come that well, way? Well, for, for Hawaii, they actually come from the east southeast and move northwest they basically kind of curve from like four o'clock on a clock to like 10 o'clock just the the way they curve around well yeah the the last one which is almost similar to what you said hurricane aniki back in 1992 came from the south and went right over the top of Kauai. Mm. Uh, and that was a category four it was small but it nailed them it it really went holy smoke where did this come from and that wasn't really part of climate change that was pretty much an outlier storm right but the bottom line is we had probably a half dozen hurricanes last year in the East Pack that didn't hit Hawaii just due to dumb luck. And, and, yeah. and one of the things you have – and that's one of the reasons why we have percentages in the field of science. You have an 80 percent chance. 20 percent of it is it may not happen or it just didn't because it just didn't. And there's no other way of, of explaining it at that point. All right. Let's uh, get to a couple of questions that uh, have come uh, pouring in. <laughs> uh, and one is from Annie Haven. Hi, Annie, out in the left coast. And she says, uh, I hear Southern California is in for hurricane-type weather to hit between September 9th and the 16th. I'll try to find the link, but uh, would love Rick's take on it. Yeah, and 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 Annie always has some great points. Um, well, she, and to- you know, because she's in the middle of the drought, and we we don't we don't appreciate that here in the Midwest. We right. really do not get it. Yeah, just as we really do not get. Um, the how many feet of water in Louisiana that oh. happened the other week? Okay, we yeah. don't get it. Yeah, and you know that was another thing that the hurricane center was kind of. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't think wrongly accused it because that storm never had a name to it. It was just a tropical wave, and they didn't really have much to do with it. But I, I think we've we've begun to realize that some of these natural disasters, climate related or climate induced, if you want to call it that. We, we need to change the way we go about discussing some of these medium-term storms. If something is going to produce 20 to 25 inches of rain, do we just continue to say, you know, severe flooding is expected? Or we give it a, a title or a name so that people will become a little bit more aware of it? Because mm-hmm. studies have shown when, when people hear the name of something, they react differently to oh, it. Oh, no, don't, don't, don't. I, I know. The Weather Channel with their naming of stars. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't go down that Winter path. storm, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I have to say. We've had the, Rick and I have had this this discussion for yes. ever since the Weather Channel started naming well, storms. Well, well, the problem with how the Weather Channel went about it initially, and we'll get to Andy's question in a second, was they, they basically, any any winter storm, they gave a name to it. But you can't do that because if you have a foreign storm going through the Twin Cities in Green Bay, people don't care about it. Right. It's, it's snow. But if you have a foreign storm going through Little Rock, Arkansas, Montgomery, Alabama, it's a big thing. So, so what they did was they said any storm is going to get a name. But I've seen, I've seen nor'easters go up the East Coast, produce 40, 50-mile-an-hour winds, and they're not given a name because it's not tropical. But as soon as it becomes tropical, you always worry about, well, could it become a hurricane? 
which we know is obviously going to be bad. But you know that what's going to lead to is cold front Adam is going through. You yeah. know, and you go, and then you start. Now you're naming everything. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, and 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 that's. But you know what? It's a good it's a good debate. It's healthy. It makes us you know understand that you have to adjust science according to the needs and the demands of the public. And um, and I think that's good. It's it's a good thing to talk about. Uh, but speaking of hurricanes and things being named, a couple of days ago it looked like there were going to be a few storms developing off the Baja of Mexico and moving up into Southern California. Now it looks like that may not be the case. And, and typically, even if some something does move in that area, you get some high clouds, you get maybe a little bit of rain, but it, it's really, really rare for anywhere north of San Diego, which is 99.9% of Southern California, to be impacted with any flooding rains. Probably more so the southwestern part of Arizona will get more impacted with the monsoon. Uh, but I would say any impact from any tropical storm in Southern California um, at this point does not look any to be anything significant. All right. And the other question? So what? the other question came in from Tom Ahern. And he wants to know if you have any thoughts on the upcoming winter. Always dangerous. Well, yeah. And, and whenever we talk about a forecast for winter, you always have to compare it to normal, and then you have to compare it to what happened the year before, because people always remember the year before, mm-hmm. or they remember the year before, the year before, if it was bad. <laughs> I remember right? back in 1967. Right, yeah, yeah or, or, or that, and the snow was over, you know, my parents maybe walked to school, you know, something like that. Um, last year, obviously 2015, one of the strongest El Ninos ever. Um, we had our biggest snow of the year, which was on the Friday before Thanksgiving. That was the biggest snow of the year. And it co- I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, 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 there was no snow last year. Basically. Yeah, there, there, were, there were very few large events. There were very few large events. Um, but that event that took place in November, and I think we even did, did a, a, a brief, I don't know, I think we were talking on the phone before that happened, Mike. Um, but that was actually induced by an ex-typhoon that came all the way across the Pacific Ocean and went and basically got joined up with our mid-level flow here in the United States and produced a very, very strong cyclone, which had very heavy amounts of of what we call warm advection snow on the front side, some thunder, some lightning. And then we had cold advection snow on the backside, which gave us lake effect snow. So we had two different types of snow in the same system, which was very unusual. But that's what you can get sometimes in mid-November because the lake is still relatively warm. So... I, I don't see us getting into an early season cold pattern, mainly due to the fact that the that the um, the West Pacific, meaning the area from like the Dateline to say um, Japan, has been relatively quiet. If you get a very active late season typhoon or or late si- typhoon season going, that typically induces early season cold outbreaks. And because the lakes are so warm, we would probably have a fairly good chance of getting significant lake effect snow. Mm-hmm. So because I don't see that happening in the Pacific, I cross off early season lake effect snow as being significant. Okay. okay? So from that standpoint, you could probably take six to eight inches off the board. All right. Um, is there a for, str- for the season. For the season, right. All right. All is right. there a strong El Nino? The answer is no. Okay, two things can happen with El Nino. The first one is they obviously keep the Arctic air north. So we had five days below zero last year. We typically averaged 12. During the super cold winter of 13, 14, we had 23. Okay, we had record number of hours of below zero as well. So 
with the onset of La Nina, it's flipped pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it just sort of El Nino just disappeared, didn't it? It 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 just disappeared in in about six months, so it mm-hmm. just didn't happen overnight. Well, uh, no, but, but from, from from a standpoint of of an annual event, you can say yeah, it just disappeared. I want to make sure people realize it just didn't happen. It was gradual. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it was gradual, but it was remarkable that it did so, and we've basically gone into a cooler pattern now which is going to allow the normal track of storms to move a little bit further south. That generally pulls cold air further south. So we're probably going to have maybe the normal of 9 to 12 days below zero. Okay, Cold air does two things. It allows snow to stay in the ground longer, which keeps temperatures colder. So you would probably say that our overall chance of being close to the normal is probably better. From a standpoint of a storm track, that's always a tough one. It's always really tough to figure out what your storm track is going to be. But forecasting 30 to 40 inches of snow and 9 to 12 days of below zero temperatures is probably the best way to go about this winter. Mm -hmm. Will it be worse than last year? Probably so. Will it be as long as it was in 2013, 2014? Probably not. What I loved about last winter, this is one of the nice things about El El Nino, is winter didn't really start here until January. No, you're right. Even though we had that snow in November, it was gone in a week. Yeah. And we had temperatures in the 60s in all the way through like the 23rd of December. If you recall, we had our worst storm of the year. It was I think it was 2 days after Christmas. Remember we had that like 2 to 3 inches of sleet. Mm-hmm. That was that was one of the worst storms all year because it was so difficult to remove that. Yeah. When you get sleet and then rain and then cold, we literally had areas of concrete ice mm-hmm. in the city and and especially the northern suburbs for almost 2 months. It was interesting to see that because snow will go away if it's if it's dry out and sunny out. But that stuff literally stayed on the ground for a long period of time. That was a very, very classic result of what you get when you get very, very wet systems, which was El Nino. Uh, that is uh, meteorologist uh, Rick DeMaio. Um, and so I guess the upshot – oh, and by the way, he is proponent of – yeah. uh, <laughs> So you can't hear it when I when I throw those in when no, you're on no, the no. phone. That's a, that's okay. But um, uh, so no no hurricane in the Baja and in California. No, and probably not a lot of rain and a, a more or less. Uh, and again, as Rick says, doing this out in advance is always tricky. But a more or less normal Chicago winter. Yeah, and and again, snowfall is always the hardest thing to forecast. Yeah, it, it really and and the best way to look at it is. Look at a snowfall map of our area from, like, Antioch down to, say, Kankakee, west to, like, Rochelle to, like, northwest Indiana. And even after a normal winter, it can vary by 20 or 30 inches. Well, I'm just looking looking at the rain totals you've been sending me on those maps. Um, There's been a lot, but it really depends on where you are. By me, we haven't had nearly as much. Yeah, further north, um, probably near normal, if not slightly below normal. Um, Whereas you go down to Kankakee. Kankakee, Bourbonnais, Bradley area, down to Pontiac, almost 18 inches for the yeah. summer. Wow. Uh, further north, northern areas of Cook County, maybe eight or nine, so almost half. Yeah. And it was interesting because once the pattern got set up uh, late August, like the last two weeks of August, it was just it, it stayed in the same place. Mm-hmm. And the rain just kept coming mm-hmm. and coming and coming. Right, right. And then with that, obviously, well, you have flooding as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And then you look at areas in the deep south, and they've had almost 100 inches of rain in parts of that, Louisiana into the Florida panhandle. Hey, once in 500 years, yeah, or the, 250, or 100, or 10, or 3. And then <laughs> and then you have the governor of Florida you know, saying, if you see a, a, an open pail of water, you know, dump it out. You're doing that in Florida three or four times a day if it rains. You know, when they're, you know, trying to well, because fight because of the, the Zika, Zika yeah. virus. Yeah. So, Which, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to handle that in the long term, but it, it's not just dumping out water. There's got to be something else that they need to do with that. Uh, but it is part of climate change. It is the warmer environment that's been pushing mm-hmm. north. Well, Florida had their warmest yeah. winter ever. They had their hottest July ever. Uh, we should, and we don't have the numbers for August yet because it might be that August was the warmest month ever. We know that July was the warmest month right. ever, ever, and June before that was. What, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are for August. It'll probably be pretty close to that as well. We didn't have many heat waves, but the, the heat expanded, you know, coast to coast more than anything. Yeah. So that was that was one thing that we got away with. We didn't have a really extensive area of high heat in one area for a long period of time. Well, speaking of, of, of weather stuff, uh, well, that's more climate, but uh, we need a forecast. Yeah. Um, so this is about as good as it gets. I think yesterday was perfect. Um, Let's make sure that, that people enjoy the beautiful parks of Chicago. The best thing you could do is go downtown and enjoy uh, Jazz Fest, right? Jazz Fest taking place is in Millennium it? Park. Oh, It's uh, this weekend. Yeah, it's Good. A, it's always Labor Day and, weekend. And this is a good time. I mean, we're getting great weather here for yeah, that. And, and I don't know about you, but as much as we've had a lot of rain, have you been complaining about the mosquitoes at night? No. Yes. No, you I have, but I, I haven't, I haven't been seen. We're, we're South and I'll tell you something. And I thought about this the other day and I thought, okay, again, I'm cursing myself here. I don't think I've had a single mosquito bite this year. But, now but I haven't pig, been. I think pig, I got 10 yesterday. Just in an differently. hour. Well, were you someplace close to the mosquitoes? That My yard. Your yard. Okay. <laughs> Your yard's different from mine. Although, uh, you know, if I'd been rummaging around in the last week, uh, probably would have been bitten because it was probably so damp. So, yeah. and, 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 you know, there's a lot of water out there. But take, I, ha- I haven't Yeah, been. take down the sign, welcome home mosquitoes. But, um, yeah. no, just being outside the last couple of days at night, I haven't really had much. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, is it something to do with maybe the cicadas are eating the mosquitoes? I don't know. I found a cicada, by the way. In my mailbox, all right, a, a dead cicada in my mailbox yesterday. I'm thinking, how did you get in there? Where there's there's no mates in here. They're know. everywhere, isn't yeah, it? I know. Yeah, I love I love going to sleep with them, listening to them at night. Okay, so um, 82, 83 today, um, probably 86 tomorrow. Sunny both days. Near 90 on Wednesday. That'll be the first 90 in, in almost three weeks. It'll be number 16 of the year, which is still too below normal. Um, then a little bit of rain comes at us on Wednesday and a little bit on Thursday. Uh, but I sent you some information for the 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day outlook. And we're basically right on the edge of a cool down that begins in about two weeks. Um, and it definitely looks that once we get to about the 16th, 17th, 18th of September, we get into a significantly cooler pattern. Now, a little bit, uh, a little bit warning on this. This is based on non-tropical weather systems getting into the long-term flow. About a month ago, I talked about this as well as us getting into a cooler pattern. As soon as the tropics got going, the cooler pattern never happened. Mm. So there's a pretty good chance this time of the year, um, an 8 to 14 day outlook could easily go back to being an above normal uh, pattern. Based on because the fact, of the tropics. Because of the tropics, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, so this storm that's now off the coast of New York that's going to sit there for five days – 
has literally altered our pattern here in the, in the Midwest. It'll happen. Oh. It, it'll literally push the dome of air such that any cold front coming in the Midwest just doesn't have a chance of, oh, of moving here. Oh, a question I've always wanted to ask. Sure. Okay, because Skilling is always talking about, we've got this uh, heat dome in the middle yeah. of the country. And I, and I always say, okay, uh, when you say dome, are you talking about going straight up in the air, or are you talking north to south when you talk about a dome? Um, it, it's more like taking a football and putting one edge over San Francisco and one edge over Washington, D.C. So it's oblong, so it's longer east-west, shorter north-south, but mm-hmm. it expands basically from the surface up to... You know, fifteen. So, 18, so it feet. is altitude, is what we're yeah. talking. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. literally, a yeah, the dome, warm air rising. Because, right. I don't know why that I found that confusing, but sometimes because you look in, in, in uh, you know, I, I would think, are you going north and south? Is that the dome, or is yeah. it, or is it, or is it altitude? Yeah, as Peggy mentioned, the warm air rises, but what it does, it also expands the atmosphere. So it basically takes the atmosphere and pushes it northward. Usually, when you have these massive heat domes you increase the jet stream on the northern side of it. Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing is you're taking eight lanes of traffic and you push it into four. And the atmosphere responds by making the air go faster, Mm -hmm. which is why when you have these big heat domes develop in the south and southeast, you get these what's called rim of fire thunderstorms that develop and then move very fast from southwest to to east and then from east to to southeast, which is why parts of... Minnesota, um, Wisconsin, and northern Michigan had tremendous amounts of rain this year because the heat dome kept building in that direction. Um, That's also one of the reasons why when the heat dome builds, severe weather shuts off in the deep south and they basically go dry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but tropical storms will add to the heat dome. Because you're literally taking air from 2,000, 3,000 miles south and taking it northward and then throwing it up into the air. Literally. Have you ever been... In a hurricane or a tropical storm, Mike? No. It, Peg, have you? Okay. It is, it is the weirdest feeling in the world. I've been in three or four of them. The air literally feels like someone took the air from the Caribbean and brought it into your neighborhood. It's, it's a different type of humidity than it is here in the Midwest. Uh. The, the dew point could be 79 or 80, and it's 81 degrees, and it's cloudy, and it's rainy, and, and it feels different. Mm-hmm. And it should be because you're literally advecting like a big suitcase and put it in your environment. And it's, the barometric pressure is very low. It's typically well. lower, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a very, very different feeling, and that has a huge impact on the environment. So uh, warmer weather on, through the rest of the week and th- probably for the next 10 days, um, I would say the month of September will be warmer and wetter than normal. Um, and again, our November – or I'd say our October and November will depend a lot of what's going on in the tropics in the West Pack, the Western Pacific. Got it. But I still don't see that becoming active, so we could have near-normal weather through that time period. We're out of time. I mean, we're already in overtime. And uh, Mr. DeMaio, thank you so much. It's great to have you in the studio. It's always fun. This is uh, – yeah, I could do this for another hour. We could, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we just wind you up, and you, you just – I don't have to say anything here. <laughs> and, and you got an apple pie to boot. I, that's exactly it. And I want to play something for you, um, something that uh, we mentioned earlier, and I think you – I hope you will appreciate <laughs> On Wisconsin. Yeah. I, you know, I was supposed to be at that game yesterday. Oh, up no. In, up in Lambeau Field. A friend of mine from uh, my college days is down in Charleston. He said, Rick, we, we got to go to the game. And I got another friend of mine here. We were all going to go. And at, about two weeks ago, we had to cancel it. Uh, we just, just didn't have the timing and the funds down. But sure. For Wisconsin to beat LSU, the number five team in the country in Lambeau Field, 
you're in college football heaven. If you live in Wisconsin. Or you're an ex-Badger or an ex-Lena right. alumni and, like and myself. I know, I, and I know you're a huge Wisconsin fan, so uh, both of our teams did very well yesterday, which is yeah. which mm-hmm. is fun. But yours, the victory of Wisconsin. You, you, you played a softball team. Come yeah, we, we did. We did. It was, it was a pushover. It was like, what, 173 to minus 10 or something? Yeah, that's exactly what something it was. Like so, that, yeah. but, uh, I've never seen a negative score on the other team. But. <laughs> Uh, so I thought uh, I would, uh, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, the uh, lyrics are really, really lame. Uh, I'm the 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 song itself. Oh, well, it, stop it! It was written in a bar. You understand that, you know? I, be- just, I believe it was. And half of it, I think, half of it is drool. So I don't know. If that's <laughs> right. I'm you, Wisconsin. You. I'm Wisconsin. <laughs> Okay, now how do we write that out? The music is great, oh, yeah. but, but the lyrics are really but sort of... aren't uh, most college fight songs totally lame? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. if you played it at some people's funeral, they'll actually wake up out of the coffin and start to walk around again. <laughs> okay. It's got a lot of jump to it. Oh. And this is the, the end, our usual end of the show. I want to thank all the guests that we had on the program today. Of course, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist extraordinaire. Uh, and Patrick Berry from uh, Chicago Farm Report, uh, Kaida Muhammad from uh, North Shore Farmers Market. Don't forget you can uh, get in infra- South Shore. I'm sorry, South Shore Farmers Market. Wow, that's that's like flipping it. South Shore Farmers Market. Um, and I hope folks uh, jump on the bandwagon and help her out with uh, her cause. Uh, so uh, with that, I say go green or go home. Stadler? Oh, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.